Once I was at a Christian leadership training seminar uh, a number of years ago, and we were discussing, uh, we were kind of, there's about 10 of us, and we were discussing, I think we're going through the book of Acts, actually, and we got to Acts chapter 4, uh, 18 to 20, and uh, it was read, and we'd, we'd discussed what it was about, and this is what Acts 4, 18 to 20 says. Basically, Peter and John have been causing trouble in Jerusalem by basically telling people about Jesus, healing people, all that sort of stuff. And it says this, this is what happens, um, that they'd been, they'd been arrested and uh, the, the uh, council were working out what to do with them. It says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have heard, seen and heard. Now, I want to be really clear on this. The, the word of God brings faith, doesn't it? It brings faith. It brings joy. It brings wisdom. All of those things. And I could tell you countless occasions where that's been the case. I've heard a verse from the Bible and hearts leapt with that spiritual sense of something, which is good, positive. On this occasion, there was none of that. The word of God came and hit me with a sudden feeling of complete guilt, inadequacy, and probably despair. Now, uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, but what I saw here suddenly as this was read, and people started discussing what was happening in Peter and John, as they said, we cannot help telling people about Jesus, was that I saw their example, and I looked at myself, and I, I thought, wait a minute, These guys seem to be talking about a different thing to to me. Because actually, if I'm being completely honest with you, sometimes I really could help telling people about Jesus and what I've seen or heard. Sometimes, actually, I prefer not to say anything at all. Don't know if anyone can relate to that. Find it a pressure. Find it a, 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 a difficult thing. And often when you do summon up the courage and say something, well, nothing happens. It just can lead to disappointment. And I kind of suddenly started thinking this passage, I can't relate. Can I relate to Peter and John here? Am I even a Christian? And I was in this existential agony, as the rest of them were discussing with their glasses of sparkling water, uh, Acts 4, 18 to 20. Um, now, I decided to put my hand up and express the angst that was burning in my soul at this point. I said, oh, look, I just can't relate to this. I, I, could, I could stop speaking about what I've seen and heard. I don't think this is, I don't understand how they got to this place. Are these guys super Christians? And the lecturer gave me a bit of a metaphorical slap in the face. And he just looked at me and said, Johnny, really, come on. If, if they banned talking about Christianity in England, if you just weren't ever allowed to mention Jesus again, do you think you'd be, would you be happy with that? I mean, could you really say, phew, cross that one off the list, can't do that anymore. Would you be happy with that situation? I, I suddenly realized, actually, no, I wouldn't be happy. And there was something about my unease at this whole thing that actually spoke of exactly the spirit that Peter and John had. In that, yes, I want to speak the gospel more and more effectively. I'm sure that the vast majority of us would be in that case. But the very fact that we want to do it more, and we're often so, uh, kind of get so disappointed, get ourselves in such a kind of mess up with this, shows actually that inside us, deep inside us, there is a desire to tell people about Jesus. I think this is, this kind of feeling, this we cannot help speaking, there is something of that in all of us as Christians. And that's what they were presenting to me on this this day, actually. And this is what I struggle against. But I want to explain that to us today and show how that happens. Because it's sometimes, it doesn't mean we always do it. It doesn't mean we always say those things. But there's that desire in our heart. And I think for some of you, if you've, you've sussed it, I've got heart on my sleeve here, I'll let the cow out of the bag right now. This is about evangelism today. You probably guessed that already, didn't you? It talks about evangelism. And if you've sussed that already, or maybe uh, you kind of just worked that out now, and you suddenly thought, oh no, my guards have gone up. If only I'd stayed in bed this morning. 
I've heard millions of talks on evangelism. You know what? I'll go away. I'll give it a go. It's, it's, it's a tough thing. I find this condemning. If that's you, actually, that itself is probably evidence that the same sort of overflowing desire to share the gospel is in you. Because you wouldn't feel guilty, condemned, or frustrated about this topic of sharing Jesus with your friends if you had no inner compulsion to do it. And let's face it, let's get this right out of the beginning, we often do. I I know that's the case for me, but this topic often leaves us feeling guilty, condemned, and frustrated. And our concern, I think, is not that we don't want to share the gospel with people, it's that we don't know how to do it effectively. Now, my plan today then, is I don't want to do a talk about evangelism where I just sit and go, we should do more. There we go. That would be a simple and an easy and a short sermon. Do more. There I'll sit down and go to the other side. That would be easy, wouldn't it? And just kind of make you all feel bad. Now, what I want to do today, I want to help each of us put the evangelistic inclinations that God has actually put in our hearts, if we're Christians, into practice in a very, very practical way. That's the plan for today. And uh, I've got, I want to talk a little bit more, unpack uh, this sort of idea that we see in Acts 4 about the kind of, that we, in fact, we want to do evangelism in some ways. And then I've got just two very simple practical things that can help us unleash that desire. That is my plan. That's where we're going. So if you could turn, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Luke 6, 43 to 45, you see I weaved in the verse into the intro. Confusing. Was that the text for today? No, it was a prelude to the text. Wow. Great. Luke 6, 43 to 45. Jesus is speaking and he says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now, the teaching of the Bible is very clear that our primary concern is not about what we do. It's about who we are. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. The key question is not, what am I going to do today? What decisions am I going to make? It's, who am I? Am I a good tree or am I a bad tree? And actually, the message of Christianity is this, and it doesn't sound incredibly cheery on this topic, that we're all bad trees. We talk about someone being a bad apple, don't we? Well, actually, it's worse. We're all bad trees would be the message of Christianity. We're sinners. We've rejected God. And while we might do some good here and there, actually, on our own, we are not going to live the lives of uh, love that God has made us for. You know what? If... if uh, uh, there are people all ar- around us who wouldn't be Christians, and maybe you're here saying you're not a Christian. And I'm not in any way saying you won't achieve anything with your life. Uh, people who aren't Christians achieve all sorts of great and wonderful things all the time. But actually, regarding the important things that God is looking for in our lives, we are not going to make the grade on our own. We are not going to produce the fruit that will lead to salvation. We're uh, bad trees. However, the gospel is The gospel means good news. There is good news here. And the good news is that actually, through the offer of uh, salvation from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has made a way not just to forgive us of some things that we've done and rub them under the carpet, but to change our very nature so that we can become good trees from the root up, complete transformation. 
And again, Christians still blunder, we still make mistakes, and progress can be a bit slow. But actually, as good trees, we can start to bear the kind of fruit that God's looking for. Love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness, goodness, etc., etc. Listen, it's important we remember this so much if we're Christians, and it's really important if you're not a Christian. You know, this is what Christianity is about, because uh, being a Christian is about God doing something mysterious and real to our very identity. God changes us. We believe when you become a Christian, you believe certain things, but that coincides with God giving you a completely new heart. Jesus used the, the image of being born again. Paul uses the image of becoming a new creation. But we're changed. There's a difference about being a Christian. If you're not a Christian here and you think, well, what's, what is that Christianity involved? You just say a few things, join a, join a kind of group that meets on a Sunday and this day. No, no. Becoming a Christian means God changing us from the inside out. And it's an amazing thing, an absolutely amazing thing. And part of that new heart involves a compulsion to tell others about the good news. Don't know if you knew that. What does it mean to have a new heart? There's all sorts of things that means. But part of that is suddenly, somewhere inside us, there is a desire to tell people about Jesus, whether we suppress that desire or not. And we see this acted out in character after character in the Gospels. So, for example, Jesus meets a Samaritan lady in John 4. and he, She's the, the late, woman of the well. And he talks to her about water and things like that. And that moves on uh, to talking about God and worship and all this. And then he has this kind of word for her where God's spoken to him and he says uh, yeah you've you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband she's like wow how did you know that and she, he talks about some other things and this is what happens at the the end of the story she meets Jesus she has an experience of Jesus and then it says then leaving her water jar the woman went back to the town and said to the people come see a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the Christ she meets Jesus she has a close-up encounter with Jesus. Suddenly, come everyone. Well, you need to see this guy. You need to see, see him. There's a, a compulsion to go and tell people. What about the uh, demon-possessed man in, in Luke chapter 8? This guy is causing chaos so much he's had to be chained up. He's cutting his body, smashing stuff to pieces. Absolute nightmare. Jesus turns up he, in a word. Get out, devil and the guy's freed, and the guy's obviously quite impressed by this. This is a good thing. That was a good day for the demoniac who's now lost his name. What other name can he have now? I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, and Jesus goes to him, and he heals him, and at the end it says this, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Meet Jesus, an encounter with Jesus. Suddenly, what's the result? I'll go and tell everyone. In the Gospel of Mark, often Jesus would tell people, they'll get healed of these things, and he'll go, please don't tell anyone, please. It's not right, right Tom, I, I love you and I want to heal you, but don't tell anyone. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He walks away, instantly tell the whole town. It's just this instant thing that even means that people don't heed Jesus' instructions. There's this sudden kind of evangelistic impulse. And we know this because when we look at what God is like and we think of God changing our hearts, when we think of God's character, it's obvious that if he can get hold of us and change our hearts so we're born again, born of God, this is what he's going to do. Because this evangelistic impulse is all over God. Just look at all three persons of the Trinity and you'll see it. What about the Father? In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
God reconciled himself to us through Christ. I think often we get the picture like this, that the whole salvation thing, Jesus coming down, was a bit like God's the kind of patriarchal figure, wrath. And Jesus is like, please, I really am quite fond of those people. Can I go and save them? Please, please, please. All right, then go. And God needs like, his arm to be twisted. The father needs his arm to be twisted to send his son. That's not it at all. The Father wanted to reconcile the world to himself through Christ. It's always been the Father's plan. When he, he talked to Abraham at the beginning, I want to bless you so the whole world will be blessed by you. The Father has a, a far-reaching plan of salvation. And so what does he do? Well, he, it's his intention to reconcile us to himself, and then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation for us to go and tell people the good news and see them saved. It's in the Father's heart. For the world. And then Jesus, if we go to the Son, Jesus then models this heart by recruiting people, not just to join a social club or this new religious affiliation that he's coming up with. Straight away, he recruits people as those who will recruit those to follow Jesus. So the first disciples, what's his call to them? They don't know anything about what following Jesus is going to be like. They have no picture of church or anything like that. And so this is what he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Someone had gone up to Peter or John or the early disciples and gone, well, you're following Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we're fishing for men. We are recruiting other followers for Jesus. That is all that they were given at the beginning. That's all following Jesus was. So as we look through the Gospels, he sends, gets 12 together, sends them out. Go and tell people. Gets 72 together, sends them out. Go and tell people. He's about to go up to heaven. And he says, right, last thing I want you to know. We've got this, my last word. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is how the Son's heart beats. Now what about the Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, he changes our hearts and he gives us strength to obey all of Jesus' commandments and carry them out in our lives. So it would make sense that he would give us strength to follow the Great Commission. Now again, I think often when we think of the Trinity, when we think of the Spirit, we think of the Spirit as being very interested in church stuff. So, Again, we think, well, what's the, when's the Holy Spirit in action? Well, he wakes up on a Sunday morning, doesn't he? Because it's all about speaking in tongues in church or prophecy. And we, we talk about, oh, there's a real sense of the Spirit here. We talk about that in church meetings. We don't talk about that when we're playing golf with our friends. Not that I play golf, but if you do that sort of thing. Or talking to your neighbor. I can't imagine it. That, did, that didn't work at all. Anyway. Um, Anyway, that was more tennis or cricket, possibly. Um, right, I'll forget about golf. But we don't talk about the spirit in those things. We think, oh, there's mundane stuff. The spirit's too busy at church over there in that meeting, hovering over the crowd, giving gifts. Well, no, this is what the Holy Spirit was given for. This is what Jesus said, John 16, 7 to 8. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is saying, look, I'm about to go. The spirit, the counselor is coming. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to convict the world. He's not going to come and give some gifts at church. He does that, and that's a great thing. But the point of the Holy Spirit is for the world. He's bringing the Father's heart of salvation that we see in the Son and making that real. And as the Holy Spirit comes and changes our hearts when we become Christians, that is in the package. That's there. So therefore, as Christians, we are new creations forged by the Spirit to do the Father's purpose and complete the Son's mission. And if God has changed our hearts then, there will be an inner urge to share Jesus with others. 
something of what Peter and John said in Acts 4 will be in us. We just can't help it. If you were to bottle this up, it's going to come out sooner or later. Now, having said all this, it is still very possible to say that I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, but I don't talk about it. That is still very possible. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, but I don't talk about it. And that's kind of the title of today's talk. But if that is the case, which I think is very common, there are two options there. You could be really unhappy with that situation. You could say, look, I believe in Jesus, my Lord and Savior. He's changed my heart. I don't talk about it. I'm not pleased about this. It causes me discomfort. And if that is the case, that is evidence that God has done something to your heart. Because you're sensing something of the unnaturalness of a fisher of men doing no fishing. It's like being a footballer who never plays football or a swimmer who never swims or a musician who never plays any music. It's a deeply frustrating place to be and I want to help you today practically to let your, the overflow of your heart actually come out in the way that it should do. That's what my plan is. So if that's you, if you think, oh, I'm not happy with this, great, I'd really like to help you because I think all of us would like to talk more about Jesus when the Holy Spirit's worked in our hearts. But there's a second option and that could be this, that actually you could say I believe in Jesus my Lord and Saviour but I don't talk about it and that's fine. I don't, that's just okay. I, it's just, I don't care. I don't want to do it. Thank you very much. Interesting talk. Sing a bit in a minute. I don't mind. And if that is so, and I don't think that will be for many if you're Christians today, but if that's so for some, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the missionary kingdom advancing Jesus of the Bible? Because that's the only one we've got. Is the Holy Spirit really at work in your heart? The Holy Spirit who's continuing the mission of Jesus. Do you really know the Father? The Father who would send his own Son to rescue sinners. If you feel no inner compulsion at all to share the gospel, I think that you need to do this. You need to come before God and you need to beg him for mercy on you. I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. None of us can change our own hearts. We can't. We can't change ourselves from a a bad tree to a good tree. But he can and he offers to do it. And if we spot our hearts getting cold and stony, it says in in Ezekiel, God's going to take out the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in. And maybe for some of us, if that's the case, your heart's gone stony. And you need to go back to God. But this is a serious thing. This is, a, this is a make or break thing. And this is something I'd encourage you to throw yourself on it. Spend the day praying. Spend the day without food. Ask him, God, you've got to help me here because I want to see evidence of the work of the missionary God at work in my heart. And actually, I have, if, if that's the case, that's all I'll leave with you if you're in that category. I've got some advice for others, but I want to leave that with you. And that's not because it's not important. That's vitally important. But this has got to come from our hearts. Otherwise, this is just a sales pitch. That's all it is. No, but God's changed our hearts. And if, if you feel uncomfortable, it's almost like you feel comfortable with that, but at the same point, mm, something's up here. Go back to God. He's the heart-changing God, and he can do it. But for those of us who do feel that inner compulsion, however uncomfortable it feels, it's like we need our hearts, uh, our overflowing hearts unblocked. From the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. We need, we need unblocking. There's an overflow going on, but it's getting a bit skewed. I have just two things, okay? And they're really practical, and i just like to help you. And I, as I'm preaching this, I'm trying to help myself uh, with this as well, because this is some of this stuff, it's so practical that it becomes quite 
tricky because you know whether you do it or not. If it's all kind of up in the air, you think, oh, I probably did that. No, these are quite practical. So let's do the first one. Here we go. Do you want to know how practically to let the overflow of your heart spill out over non-Christians and speak the gospel? First of all, you need to spend time with non-Christians. Number one, spend time with non-Christians. I've met so many Christians who come to talk to me and often they would express deep dissatisfaction about their evangelistic performance, if you could put it like that. And it's kind of like this, I've not shared the gospel for ages. Never seen anyone become a Christian. I feel terrible. What shall I do? Can you pray evangelistic effectiveness for me? Now I've learned something before I pray to ask one question and one question only. And it's this, do you ever spend any time with non-Christians? Now, strangely enough, usually the answer is no. The answer is no. And it's going to be very hard for your heart to overflow and speak to those who don't know Jesus if we're not spending time with people who don't know Jesus. You see, many people, I think, think that the reason the church doesn't grow more in England is because uh, maybe the church members are not skilled enough in apologetics. We can't answer all these arguments. We haven't read enough big fat books. Or maybe uh, we're not full enough of the Spirit. Maybe that's what it is. Or possibly we're too compromised in our lifestyles. Those are three different things people would suggest. I think all of those things need to be addressed. They are important things. However, I don't think that's the main reason. I'm absolutely convinced, actually, the number one reason we don't see more people saved is because we just don't spend enough time with people who don't know Jesus. It's painfully simple, but it seems to be the case. Jesus spoke of this. He said, you are the light of the world. He said that, you are. It's not like you are a light on a dimmer switch. Make sure you turn the light up as much as you can. Be as bright. No, you are the light of the world. his only instruction in that passage don't hide under a bowl you are light just get out there just get to people so they can see you don't hide under a bowl and it's it's uh, uh, the application of that for us we i don't think anyone's hiding under any bowls around but what we do is well we hide under the bowl of the church and all our christian friends and we're there and it's uh, you know what you guys are great it's great those who i know i don't know everyone here and i'm sure you're great if i don't know you but it's the church is such a wonderful place for it's like a friend machine that's what i think the church is you people are kind they don't stab you in the back at the first opportunity anyway you hope they don't but they don't and definitely not as much as out out in the world with other people and so it's natural for us just to want to well this is our family we're together actually if we don't want you under a bowl because we're just with our family and our, f- our hearts could be overflowing all over the place in worship meetings you know what? it's not going to make a difference out there where our hearts are meant to be overflowing this whole thing I, I'm, what I'm not saying is here kind of minutes clocked with unbelievers tick stop the stop clock this is about lives shared I mean you could work in the same building as people who aren't Christians you could uh even live in a house, I guess, with unbelievers. But it doesn't necessarily mean your heart for Jesus will overflow in people's direction. Because let's face it, we share our heart with people who we know, who are our friends, who we have a depth of relationship with. There's a secular sociologist, a guy called Rodney Stark, fascinating bloke. And he wrote a book a few years ago. He's not a Christian. I think he may be a Christian now, actually. But he definitely wasn't at the time of writing this book. And he was just puzzled at how quickly Christianity had grown. The, the beginning of Christianity is a, it's a massive historical problem because it's, it's at an unprecedented rate and the normal kind of movement growing factors are not there. So he wrote a big book. This is big work that he did on it. And he came to one conclusion on why the church grew so quickly at the beginning of Christianity. Now, I, I would say this. I think if you read Stark, I think he's very interesting. He does downplay some miraculous elements and things like that that I, I would say would have been key as well. But I think he's got this spot on. Now, 
be aware, I don't know if it's, it'll probably come from here, there's lots of big words, and this does sound like you're in, if, you've, if you're ever doing a kind of degree in history or sociology, you'll sound like you're back at school, but see if you can penetrate it, okay? I'll decode it in a minute for you, okay? I, I should put on a silly voice, but I won't. The basis for successful conversionist movements, says Stark, is growth through social networks, through a structure of direct and intimate interpersonal attachments. Most new religious movements fail because they quickly become closed or semi-closed networks. That is, they fail to keep forming and sustaining attachments to outsiders and thereby lose the capacity to grow. Successful movements discover techniques for remaining open networks, able to reach out and into new adjacent <laughs> I got stuck with that bit, into new adjacent social networks. And herein lies the capacity of movements to sustain exponential rates of growth over a long period of time. Oh, to be an academic and be able to put all those words in one paragraph. I'd love that sort of thing. What's the point? What's he saying in this funny code language? I think the point's quite simple, actually. What he's saying is this. His study of religions, well, the religions that work are the religions that keep open networks. It means they, the, the, they, the reason the early church grew was they didn't just get stuck in the family, however good the family was, but actually Christians continued giving their lives to people who weren't in the family, in love and in friendship. Successful movements discover techniques for remaining open networks in slightly more cold and calculated language from Rodney Stark. Now can I, I just want to clarify something. and This does seem cold and calculated, particularly with this language. I am not saying that as Christians we should be these sort of evangelism machines. We go to someone, I'm making friends with you to make you a Christian. Want to be a Christian? No, next, on to you. I'm not saying that in any way at all. All I'm simply encouraging us to do is apply Jesus' most famous teaching that he did. Let's, let's throw this one out there. What do you think Jesus' most famous teaching is? Ah, got you. Where did that come from? Millerad. He's a good man, Millerad. He knows his stuff. That was completely unprompted as well. Love your neighbour. Most people, when I taught RSGCSE, you learn love your neighbour, you can probably get a C just with that phrase, to be honest. But it, every answer, you get love your neighbour. If you're at school, just learn that. That's fine. Love your neighbour, you love yourself. Uh, now, what does it mean? Well, Jesus often talked about love your neighbour, but what was interesting, he often made the point that your neighbour is not someone in obviously in your social group. That was his point over and over again that he made. Your neighbour's probably not a Christian. Let me ask you this. Is it more loving to exchange pleasantries with your neighbours or your work colleagues or the other mums at the school gates or to give them time and share your lives with them? What's more loving to do? If they're not interested in the gospel, well, that's their choice. We love them anyway. That's what loving your neighbour is. But how will we even know unless we give them our time and let them into our lives? So let's ask some key questions. And he, I think these, this isn't very spiritual. I think these are the make and break questions. And they're questions that I am constantly asking myself because I've not got this one nailed at all. Okay? But these are the questions. If you've got a diary... And you're the kind of person who plans well in your diary. You've, I know there'd be loads of people who up to Christmas, it's already full. In your diary, how many times are you hanging out with people who don't know Jesus up to Christmas? That's make and break question, number one. Second question. If you were to write down your list of ten best friends who live locally, how many of them don't know Jesus? And this one gets a little bit more... Tricky. 
Because you might already be processing this. You might think, yeah, but the reason I'm not doing that, Johnny, is I'm doing this and this and this and this and this, which are good things that I'm meant to do. Well, here's the third and final question. What Christian activities do you need to drop or Christian meetings do you need to stop going to to free up time to really love your neighbours? That's tricky. Can I present you a living example? It's good to have living examples. A hero, let's say. You might know this hero. He's in our church. He's a, he's a man called Tom Parkin. Put your hands up if you know Tom Parkin. Tom is completely unaware that I'm mentioning him this morning. Certain factual details. No, everything's going to be correct. There is one factual detail. I was going to check with him this morning, but I checked. But Tom Parkin is an example in this area because I'll tell you about Tom Parkin. I'll tell you about his barefaced cheek and audacity. The evangelist in Tom's local church handpicked Mr. Parkin for the wonderful privilege of being on the Alpha team. Some of you have had that call. It's a wonderful privilege, you know. The invitation is written on ancient parchment. It's signed in gold ink, hand-delivered to Tom Parkin. Do you know what he did? How he repaid me for that privilege? He said this. Sorry, Johnny. Can't do Monday evenings. I go fencing. Sorry, Tom. Do you not understand what I'm asking you to do? We're, this is the cutting edge of our evangelistic strategy as a church. I'm asking you to be on a table for Alpha. No, no, no. I'm going fencing. I'm important in the fencing team. Actually, my plan is this. I know these guys, and I've been building friends with them, and I want to be, be in there in that group so that I can share the gospel through my life. And that's important to me. And because I'm not on doing Alpha, he didn't just do it once. He did that twice. Twice! <laughs> the audacity! I want to present you with Tom Byrne. That, for me, that's it. He's got it. He's completely understood the whole deal. This isn't about going to meetings, and it's not about fulfilling church requirements. Actually, sometimes, and uh, I use an example for him because it's easy for me to say this, it could mean letting people down. Oh, I'd really like you to do this. No, I can't do it. Because the reason we do the meetings and the reason we put on the things is because we want to we wanna love our neighbours. And the way we love our neighbours is we bring them the one who we know has transformed our life. We bring him Jesus. Tom Parkin, I present to you, a hero. <laughs> so the first point, it's simple, but I really think this is the one. And I don't think you ever nail this one. Spend more time with uh, unbelievers and people who are outside the church. And second and final one is this. Uh, be ready to make the most of all opportunities you get. Um, now, our hearts overflow, and when we speak, we usually share our hearts with people we know, don't we? So we, we, we spend time with people, we make friends with people, and they get to see our hearts. However, there are obviously loads of other people out there who you walk by and you kind of encounter on your daily routine, but sometimes you think kind of, yeah, I'd like to be able to share something in the gospel with them. And I'll be honest, this has been a source of guilt for me in the past. In fact, I'm being very personal. I hope you don't mind this. Um, I, I developed a sort of phobia a few years ago. It was a phobia of buses, strangely. Now, it was nothing like I was kind of afraid of buses, like they were going to come to life and kill me. But w- what it was was, if I went on a bus, I w- I was, like, I'd be there and I'd be hiding at the back because I was literally afraid that God would say to me, Johnny, now is the time. Look at them all. Preach the gospel. <laughs> And uh, everyone's there with their heads buried in their metros. And I'm like, and then I just didn't want that to happen. I mean, obviously, if you ever travel on the buses, you probably wouldn't have wanted that to happen. But that was a, that was a concern to me. And my, my thinking, I think, was logical in some sense. In that, um, The thinking behind it was, well, look, there's a whole world out there who don't know the good news about Jesus. And actually are heading towards hell. That's what's at stake here. This is a massive thing. 
I know the good news. Therefore, how can I ever justify keeping my mouth shut? How can I, uh, how can I do that when I could wake them up to the reality of the gospel? And so I've got myself a little bit of a funny one. Now, I did, I worked this through. My phobia is gone. Um, and I concluded that probably just saying something was not going to help a great deal. In, in a sense, the medium may well undermine the message in that particular occasion, shouting at people over their metro and telling them to pull out their iPod things of their ears. But I feel there was something of God in this kind of, again, it's a comp- it's, I want to do something, I don't know what to do. And the question I would uh, I ask myself is, well, how can I be ready then to let my heart meaningfully overflow to strangers, to people I meet day in, day out? Now, you might argue you don't talk to strangers and you don't meet many strangers, so this isn't an issue for you. But I wonder actually if that's the case. So think about a week that goes by Think about the number of people who you do not know who you have a conversation with. It could be your local shopkeeper. It could be the till operator at Sainsbury's. It could be the lady who works in your local calf. It could be the mechanic who does your MOT. It could be the big issue seller on the corner. It could be that person, that chatty uh, person who sits next to you on the train. I don't know. But actually, there are a lot of people like this. Now, the problem with these conversations, however, that I've, in my reflections, uh, thought of is they're so fleeting. They're kind of just a couple of minutes, and it's unlikely to lead naturally into a, a conversation where you get into the depths of, of the gospel or anything like that. I mean, if I'm at the front of the queue in co-op, I think I have two minutes maximum before I start making a serious nuisance of myself and probably get asked to leave. Okay, that's, that's what you've got. That's what we're talking about here. And actually, what that means is, what on earth is the point of bring up anything substantial to people who we're not going to talk to for more than a minute. The overflow of my heart is unlikely to have any effect in such a conversation. However, there is a way. I think in two minutes you can do a number of things. I think you can do this. You can be friendly. It's a funny thing, but you can be friendly. You can give them a smile. You can be a nice person in that person's day. And you can also mention, it's very, sometimes it's possible to mention, quite simply, I'm a Christian, go to church. So there are two things you can do. And thirdly, if you are then prepared with something to leave people with on the back of your friendliness, your heart can overflow to them, even when you've gone and they sit down for a coffee. Now, you might think you seem to be winding up to something in particular, Johnny. Well, that would be true. (laughs) I have something that I find really handy for this, and it's called a personal track. There might be some pictures up there, actually, but I have one in the flesh. Here's my personal... I have two, depending on who I meet. This one's got a bit of a stain on it, so I might not give that to anyone. But anyway, um, they're my personal tracks. And my personal tract is, it's a little handmade pamphlet, voila, voila, um, that basically explains my testimony. That's all it does. It explains how I come to know Jesus. And uh, if people I don't have a chance to chat to for very long, I can leave it with them. Now, I've got these two. I stash them in my wallet. And if I have a feeling that in any sense in a conversation, the person I've talked to has warmed to me in any way, they will be the proud owner of a personal tract. Um, Whether it goes in the bin or whatever happens to it, they are a proud owner of that tract. Now, you might think, well, that's a bit weird. Like, no one gives out things like that. But I often find that works in its favor. And I would honestly say to you that every single person I've ever given one to is maybe through the kind of slight strangeness of it, been very thankful that you, you've given me something about you. That's a kind of odd thing. People appreciate this thing. And if uh, I've had a chance to just to be friendly, even if I haven't mentioned Jesus with them in any explicit way, they see friendly, ooh, he's a Christian. That's a good link for people. So I don't know if you know this, but people who aren't Christians don't think Christian friendly. They don't think that. They think Christian judgmental. They hate me. That's what most people in the world, unfortunately, think about Christians on the whole particularly those who don't know any Christians, which refers back to point one. Now, 
Um, you caught that, Helen, didn't you? Um, <laughs> now, I think also with these, and this is just a, a funny thing, is I find even just having these in my pocket makes me a friendlier person. Because what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to engineer a situation where I could give it to someone. So I'll be clear, if I crash into someone's car, I don't give them a personal tract. <laughs> or if I go to a shop to complain about bad customer service, I don't finish and go, and by the way, here's this. Because that's not going to work. I skulk away and hopefully they don't notice that I'm a Christian. It makes me friendlier. So basically... Personal tracks are win-win. People get a friendlier Johnny, and some people get to hear the gospel. So it's all good. I've got one little story to encourage you before I finish. A few years back, I was walking up the road to my work then, and uh, I was walking. I was probably doing the kind of trooping walk, and these two people were just ahead of me doing the kind of more ambling walk. So I overtook them as I went along. And uh, I don't know how the conversation sparked that. It might have been a, have you got the time conversation. It might have been a, do you know the way to, etc. conversation. I don't know. But we got chatting very briefly. And basically, my work was there. So that was it for the conversation. But they seemed like a happy happy pair. So I thought, well, you know, what have I got to lose? Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. Here you go. Have one of these. Just read it. If you have a chance, it's a bit about my life. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Went to my work, about 10 minutes later, knock on the door, and these two guys are there again. I'm like, wow, hello, uh, I've just uh, gone to work, are you okay? Uh, and they, they were like, yeah, we, we're really interested in what, you, what you've put. Can we come to your church? I'm like, yeah, great, no problem. And those two people, I mean, came to church for about a year, I think, if I remember right, and the, and the guy definitely made a commitment to Jesus. Now, I can't say everything went swimmingly for those two guys, but just from walking along, doing the most easy, in a sense, the most easy thing. There's nothing to lose. Actually, there's a guy, probably, who's going to be in heaven, who wouldn't have been. I didn't, that's not in my notes, but that, that, I'm a bit freaked out by that, even just saying that to you. Now, that is really strange. I'll tell you what, that is about being prepared. We often think of evangelism. Oh, I've just got to be like this and got to be like this. No, no. Yes, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but we need to be prepared to let our hearts overflow to other people. If you would like to uh, make a personal tract, um, we, we actually, we will, I, will, I promise for the first three people who come to me or email me, I will make them for you. If you just send me your, the words for it, I'll make the whole thing for you. I'll print them all out, absolutely fine. I might be able to do more than three, but me and Russ are in wranglings about this, about how this is going to go. And uh, I'd love a point in the future to have a, an elders meeting where a point on the agenda is, Johnny, we have so many people wanting you to print personal tracts. We're going bust. Please, what are we going to do? I'd love that to be the case. So please, I can guarantee three that we'll do them. The others, the others um, I will, um, we'll, we'll, we'll work that out as we go. But on here, it should say that we've got a Facebook page, uh, which is not G Groups, it's Groups. I think that's come off, off the line. If you go to that, it's got more information. Just click, click join or email me and I'll invite you because it's a closed group. And the point of the, I'm looking forward to this, it's going to be fun because it's to explain, there's a lot more about what do you have to do for a personal track. There's a helpful video and things like that. But also, I want to use it as sharing fun stories about personal tracks on it. So if you've got one, you can say, well, this happened to me today. This person did this. And that's the plan. So if you want to make use of opportunities, I'd really push that one with you. So to finish, Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I imagine, uh, returning back to about 15 minutes ago, there are a small portion of you who need to attend to your heart here, or more to the point, need to ask God to attend to your heart. And uh, if you see no flow at all towards sharing the gospel, I really want to return to this. Please ask him. He's a good God, but he's a God who loves the world. And his children, he wants to put that in our hearts, and he does. And I'd really encourage you, if that's the case, please get prayer and please talk to some people.
However, I think for most of us, and myself included, the problem is that we feel the flow and the pressure building up, the overflow of the heart, but we don't know how to unleash it effectively. I want to encourage you, first and foremost, prioritize relationships with people who aren't Christians. And if you're too busy with church stuff to do it, let's think through how we can sort that, and let's have conversations about that. And secondly and finally, make yourself ready to be able to take the chance opportunities that come up in the day. And I'd recommend the purse track. I think it's handy. You can have other leaflets and stuff as well. It's good. And then with, with one last thing, um, and I recognize a group of people here I've not really addressed a whole lot. And you might think, this is weird. I'm not a Christian. And this whole talks about how to <laughs> give me this message. I mean, what is this? Do you, do you want, is this about church growth? Is this about like, you want more money in the offering? I mean, what, what was it? Well, you know, this might make you feel uncomfortable. I can understand that. I, I can understand that. And I, want, I, I want to just say to you as we finish, Jesus is the best thing there is. And there's all sorts of other things I could say, but Jesus has changed my life. And if you talk to people as we sing in a bit, like, just look around. Don't let people know you're looking around because they'll be a bit freaked out. But look at people. People are going to be worshipping Jesus. And we worship him, not because we have to, or not because we think that's what we do on a Sunday morning. Like Saturday's football, Sunday we just put hands in the air and sing. No, we worship because we love him. Because he's changed our life. And we would love him to, you to meet him. We'd love you to know him. And honestly, we would do anything we can to introduce you to Jesus. And so if you'd like to talk to anybody about that, I'm not going to be here because I've got a, me and John are driving off to the north site in a second. But I'd really encourage you uh, to talk to someone at the end.